0: Let us turn now to the chapter we read in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 26, and we'll consider tonight from verse 24 onwards. We'll consider that in the light of the context which the words are said. Acts chapter 26, verse 24, and as he thus spake for himself, first he said to a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee man, but he said, I am not man, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then said Agrippa unto Paul, "Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou but also all that hear me this day were both all must and all together such as I am accept these bonds. Now a fortnight ago tonight I considered with you words in chapter 24 where Paul preached in the presence of Felix and Drusilla on the subjects of righteousness self-control and judgment to come Felix refused to set Paul free he kept him under house arrest for two years hoping that some ransom money would be paid by Paul or someone else for his release in the course of time Felix was replaced as procurator in Caesarea by Festus. And uh, shortly after this appointment, Festus went up to Jerusalem. You have this in chapter 25. He went up to Jerusalem. And while he was there, the Jews reminded him of this man, Paul, who was imprisoned in Caesarea and suggested to him, that he take him up to Jerusalem for trial. Festus determined to reopen the case when he got back to Caesarea, to Caesarea and to proceed along the lines of strict Roman a, a justice in the case. When he spoke to Paul he suggested to him that uh, that was when Festus returned to Caesarea he spoke to Paul and the course of the, of the conversation suggested to him that uh, he should uh, go up to Jerusalem to be tried. And Paul uh, resisted that, a uh, suggestion he knew that he wouldn't get a fair trial in Jerusalem, that things were prejudiced against him there. And in the famous words of verse eleven in chapter twenty five, he said to Festus, I appeal to Caesar and having made that appeal as a Roman citizen Festus was duty bound to send Paul to Rome to be tried and uh, he had to send uh, accompanying papers with the prisoner the papers detailing the charges leveled against him. But before these papers were drawn up and before Paul was sent to Rome, Agrippa, a vassal king, a man who, you know, that's a a king who ruled really by authority. He was a Jew, but he ruled by authority in Judea, by authority of the Roman authorities there and he was really a puppet in their hand. He was the last of the Herod's. This man Agrippa and his sister Bernice came to visit Festus in Caesarea. A sort of a kind a kind of state visit and uh, to probably to compliment Festus on his promotion to this office of procurator in Caesarea this was a comparatively inexperienced Roman procurator and uh, he grabbed this opportunity of uh, having a, a Jewish king in his presence at a time when he had this thorny problem. This man, Paul, and the, all the accusations the Jews were having against him and as yet no one had found this man guilty and by right he should really have been set free and maybe as we shall see at the end of chapter 26, if he hadn't appealed to Rome, he would have been set free. So, Festus took this opportunity to refer the case to Agrippa. They discussed it between themselves. And Agrippa said, well, I would like to hear this man for myself. And so chapter 6 opens with a picture of this assembly, Festus with all his own officials. Agrippa and his sister Bernice, and those who accompanied them, gathered together, and in comes this prisoner, man in chains. Uh, we know that from the words that he said to Agrippa, I would to God that only thou, but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether, such as I am, except those bonds, except these chains. Here's this prisoner, brought in in chains in the presence of this august company and he is told by Agrippa you are now free to speak for yourself. And Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself and he thanked very courteously, he thanked Agrippa for the opportunity that he was given to speak to him about the reason for his being there that day in chains before them. I beseech thee, he says, to hear me patiently. And uh, tonight, I want to look with you at this profound address that Paul delivered and look at the effect that it produced. First of all, in the life of Festus, and secondly, in the life Agrippa and I would like to deal with this briefly tonight. There are two or three things that Paul refers to in 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 this address. He gives us an account of his conversion and he speaks of his past life. He speaks of his attitude to the Christian faith in the past. He speaks of the conversion experience that he had on the way to Damascus. He speaks of the call that was addressed to him by Christ to Christian service. These are the four things that Paul majors on in this address. Now this is one of three accounts that we have of his conversion in the book of Acts. The first account is in chapter 9 given to us by Luke who wrote the book. And the other two accounts are given to us by Paul himself. The first in chapter 22 when he addressed the Jewish audience and this in chapter 26 when he addressed a mixed audience of Jew and a Gentile. And there are two or three interesting things that come to light as he tells, gives a brief account of his life and refers in fuller detail to his religious life. First of all, notice this reference to the past in verses 4 and 5. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation Jerusalem, know all the Jews who knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of a religion, I lived a Pharisee. Now what Paul is saying here is this. He's telling them, the kind of person he was. Now this as you know is very often what happens when a person gives his testimony. When he speaks about his conversion he tells people first of all the kind of person he was. This is it's against this kind of background that his conversion is seen in all its uh, blessedness and in all its glorious light. Now Paul here speaks about two things. He says that he was religious from his youth up and his religion was a particular kind, of a particular kind, of a particular brand. He was a Pharisee. Now that's all he tells. I was religious and when I grew, big, grew when I, after the age of 12 or so I became a real Pharisee. Now that means that he laid a lot of emphasis on moral goodness on uh, doing the best he could at all times. He laid emphasis also on his belief of this in the scriptures. His acceptance of what God said in the Bible about himself. He believed in the resurrection from the dead. He believed not coming Messiah. He believed all these things I was he said that kind of person growing up I was very religious now afterwards he's going to speak about his attitude as a Pharisee to the Christian faith but I think there's a lesson that comes clearly to light here for us in connection with the giving of testimonies and it is this, have you ever noticed and I'm sure you find it in yourself, have you ever noticed the tendency for people to emphasize or as the Americans would put it, to major on the kind of person he was before God made him what he is. You see we tend almost to go out of our way to tell people that we were this band we did this and we went here and we were this kind of person well i always get the impression when paul is giving his testimony that he's almost in a hurry to get away from the theme of what he was that he might get onto the theme of what god did for him his whole thrust it's all was directed to the power of the grace of God in his life. If he was taking half an hour giving his testimony, he wouldn't spend 20 minutes telling people the type of money the type of money was. I believe he would spend five minutes there, and then spend the rest telling people about what Christ did, and what kind of person Christ is, and what kind of thing Christ can do for other people. And if I were going to give advice to anyone, you young people, for example, when you're asked to give your testimony, the only advice I would give you is this, and anyone who gives us a testimony to give can speak about this, otherwise there is no testimony. Emphasize the grace and the love and the power of the Lord in your life. Don't spend too much time telling people the kind of person you were. You'll paint yourself black, but I'll tell you this you'll never paint yourself as black as you were, so don't try. But try to throw up in glorious outline the power of the grace of Christ. So, he tells them the kind of person he was. Then he tells them, secondly, the attitude that he had to the Christian faith in verse 6. Now he says, I stand and judge for the hope of the promise made of God unto our Father, unto which promise our 12th tribe, that is the whole of Israel, the Jews, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. It's for that hope, sake, Agrippa, that I'm here. And uh, why should you think it incredible that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and so on. Now then, here he tells us how his religion worked in his life, and and particularly with reference to the Christian faith. By the time Paul became a fully fledged Pharisee, the Christian faith was beginning to strike roots in Jerusalem, and was beginning to spread beyond Jerusalem. And this religious man didn't like the spread of this religious fervour, indeed of this religious fever throughout the land in his day. So what did he do? Well, quite simply, he opposed it. He wasn't a religious, remember. He wasn't a morrow, and he wasn't ungodly, and he didn't want to destroy the Bible, and he didn't want to destroy the church. And he didn't want to destroy the Lord's day, God's day, the Sabbath day. He wasn't opposed to any of these things. He was only opposed to the Christian faith. That's the point he's making. I thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus, even though I was a very religious man. So, what he's telling us is this. I knew, and I've discovered, he says, looking back, that I was opposed to the Christian faith. I didn't realize it. I didn't realize that I was opposed to God, when I was opposed to the Christian faith. But I was. I wasn't, he says, opposed to the thought of a messiah. As a Pharisee, I looked for a messiah. And I wondered when the fulfillment of the promise would come because I believed in the promise that God gave that a Messiah would come. But when the Messiah came, I didn't recognize that he was the Messiah. And I tried to destroy the Messiah. And when there were people in Jerusalem and beyond Jerusalem who became followers of that Messiah, I tried to destroy them as well. And I received authority from the chief priests. And I was party to the death of some Christians in Jerusalem and beyond. I gave my voice, for example, against Stephen. And I punished many Christians. And I compelled them to blaspheme. And I was mad against them. And I persecuted them, even unto strange cities like Damascus. Now what Paul is saying here is that in those days, Christianity was a threat to his peace. It was a threat to his very existence. To him it was wrong. It was illegal. And it was an innovation that he didn't like. Christianity to him was a nuisance. And the convictions that he had, and there's no doubt about it, that Paul had convictions in those days, as Jesus said to him, there's no point, he says, in kicking against the things that you feel. The convictions that he had didn't make him a friend of the cause, but an enemy. Didn't bring him any nearer to God, but drove him further away. Didn't make him any happier, but maybe made him more unhappy. Didn't make him any more satisfied with life than he was, but more dissatisfied. He says, I became a madman. There was something eating in. And instead of that thing leading him to the Lord, it led him further from the Lord. Now I believe that there are people like this who are to all intents and purposes in some respects at least religious. I believe there may be people in this church tonight people in store, and we certainly who will say to you that they are not opposed to the Bible and they are not opposed to the Christian church they are not against God. But then you see they can't swallow this Christianity thing. And any time they think of it, or any time it crosses that path, it annoys them. It's a nuisance to them. And they rebel against it. Instead of becoming happy with it, they become unhappy at the thought of it. And instead of becoming satisfied through it. More and more dissatisfaction comes to the surface in their lives. They become antagonistic. And in many cases, they do things that normally they wouldn't do just because these convictions that they have, instead of leading them to the Lord, are only leading them further away from the Lord. And I know, I'm positive of this, that there are people, there may be wives and husbands, children, parents, who are suffering at the hands of people who are under conviction, but who don't yield in submissiveness of heart and will to the Lord who is convicting them instead of yielding to him, they are only, as it were, gritting their teeth and flying in the face of all these convictions and making the lives of people who are very close to them and maybe the closest people in the world to them, making their lives a misery, or at least trying to, just as their own lives are as well. That's the kind of man Paul was. Do you get the impression as he tells the story of his conversion? That he was so mad against the Christian faith that he couldn't rest day or night. Couldn't rest. That was the kind of dissatisfaction and restlessness of spirit that he had. And you know that there are times conviction goes like that in the life of an individual. It puts you off your sleep. And instead of having peace, through faith in Christ you become the most miserable of all creatures well says Paul to Agrippa I was that type of man but then Agrippa, Agrippa a wonderful thing happened to me I was on the road to Damascus he tells him verse 12 and here's the third thing that he emphasizes his conversion to the Christian faith at the very height of his persecuting zeal and when he least expected it this wonderful event occurred. And there were three things that he emphasized about his conversion, three supernatural elements in it. There was a light, there was a voice, and there were words. Three supernatural elements in the conversion of Paul, a light, a voice, and words. Jesus appeared to him, he tells us, on the road to Damascus. And he appeared to him not to put him to shame, but to save him came to know him as a real person, as a risen and as a reigning Lord. I don't know, he says to Agrippa, why you should think it a thing incredible that God should raise the dead. Why do you think it incredible? Why? I'm going to come back to this in a minute. You see, the connection here is this. Here was a man who was so religious that he believed all the Old Testament prophecies. Now, what was it the Old Testament was pointing forward to? Particularly supremely, it was pointing forward to the coming of Christ into the world. And what did the New Testament tell the Old Testament tell people who cared to read it about this coming Christ? That he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, and that he was going to rise again from the dead. The The Old Testament told that, prophesied about it. There was the word there were the words of prophecy. All this was enshrined in the types that God had given to Israel and so on. Now he says. Christ came Christ suffered Christ died Christ rose from the dead why do you disbelieve that he says why do you think it incredible that God should raise the dead and why is that people find it difficult to believe the resurrection of Christ from the dead and why do they find it difficult to believe that there will be a general resurrection from the dead why I'll tell you why because they bring God down to their own level that's why And they bring him down below their own level You see because they can't raise people from the dead And because they can't conceive of how it can be done Therefore this is the wonderful conclusion to which enlightened men come to In Paul came to in Paul's day and come to 1985 Because they can't conceive of how it can be done It can't be done In other words God isn't in their thinking at all the moment you believe in God, and the moment you believe in the God of the Bible, you cannot but believe that God will raise the dead. And if you don't believe in the resurrection from the dead, it doesn't matter who you are, be your bishop or otherwise, if you do not believe in the physical, literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead, you do not believe in the God of the Bible. It's as simple as that. Of course, some people may say that's going too far. It is nothing of the sort. It is nothing of the sort. That's why people don't believe in the resurrection. Because they don't believe in the God of the Bible. Because the Bible tells us that this God raised Jesus from the dead. And you believe that God or you don't. It's one or the other. You can't start slicing things away from the God that you're going to believe in. Because the moment you do it, it is not the God of the Bible you believe in. You've made a caricature, an idol of your own. There is only one God in whom you can believe. With the faith that the Bible commends unto salvation. And that is the God of the Bible. You take it or you leave it. You accept him or you reject him. Agrippa says Paul, I don't know why people find it incredible to believe that God raised and Paul could have gone on to tell Agrippa, this is why Agrippa, because they don't believe in that God. So you see, uh, the Lord uh, had had told told, uh, Paul that uh, The the, the Bible that Paul believed in told him all these things about a God and about the resurrection from the dead. And this is the Christ who confronted him. It was this light that shone into his heart. It was this vision that he got of the risen Lord that prostrated him on the ground. And the words of the Lord went through him like an arrow and he cried out, Lord. Who art thou Lord? What wilt thou have me to do? And this is what happens in every a conversion. I'm not saying that you see a light, literally, as he did. I'm not saying that you're going to hear a voice, physically, as he did. And I'm not saying that you're going to see a vision, as he saw. I will say that you won't see these things. But what you will get is this, as Paul did. You will get a light from without coming into your heart. This was what he was told then to go and do, go and preach the Gentiles. Bring light to them. Bring light before their eyes. Bring the light of the word to their understanding. You see, in conversion, light comes from without. What is the light that comes from without? The word of God comes to you with the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It may not be suddenly, instantaneously, in one night, in one sermon, but over a period of time, The word is the light of the Lord and the Holy Spirit begins to shed that light into your mind and into your understanding. The Bible becomes meaningful, relevant, a living word to you. This is the light from without the revelation of God, but there's something else. There is also a light from within, a light from within. And that is the Holy Spirit enlightening your mind, enabling you to understand the Bible, or at least some of it, giving you a knowledge of the truth, a thirst for the truth, giving you a desire to know the truth. So you may be here tonight, for example, as a person who once, once upon a time had no interest in the Bible. Now you have. A person who couldn't care less about coming to church. Now you must come to church why because you want your mind fed you want light in your understanding that's the holy spirit working and the holy spirit always does that in conversion and there is also the entrance of life together with the entrance of light so that your hatred to the things of god is turned to love your opposition becomes service your hostility to christ becomes now it changes to To one of honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear and despair and dread are now replaced by hope. God laid hold of Paul. He converted him. Then fourthly he tells us that he laid hold of him for a purpose. Verse 16 onwards. Rise, he said to me, stand up. I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister. A preacher and a preacher is going to witness to the things that you've heard and the things that you have seen and I'm going to send you as a means of delivering people and I'm going to send you to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light from the power of God to Satan that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance amongst them which are sanctified by faith which is me and all King Agrippa I was not disobedient of the heavenly vision, and I went and I preached to them at Damascus, then at Jerusalem, throughout the coast of Judea, to the Gentiles, to the Jews, to them all, and having obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophet and Moses say should come, that Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the gentiles And here you have finally in this connection God's purpose for converting Saul that he might serve him as a minister in the gospel in other words Agrippa I was converted by Christ that I might serve Christ Christ came from heaven To make this appointment, Saul of Tarshish, I am sending you with the gospel to Jew and Gentile. And there is nothing else that you will bring to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness and inheritance. And here you have really a summing up, a summation of the gospel this is what it's all about it brings light to the understanding it's the means and the only means by which people are turned from satan to god from darkness to light it's the only means that will give you a hope for heaven above for eternity beyond and the only way you cannot you can lay hold of these things is through faith Christ. There's the gospel summed up for you in one word from the lips of Jesus Christ. Take it with you. It is that which gives you understanding. Now you may say to me but the gospel isn't the only thing that gives me understanding. The preacher, the ministers who have been here they're not the only people who have given me understanding throughout my life. I've read other people, I've read about other prophets and philosophies and what have you well I don't deny that neither would Jesus deny it of course there are other things that give you an understanding of life there are many things and I believe many books and many people who have opened your eyes to things that you never knew before but listen to this this is the only message that will ever tell you how your sins can be forgiven the only message that will ever tell you how you, can ter- how you can be turned from Satan to God the only message that will ever tell you how you can be delivered from the darkness of a life that is under the dominion of sin to the light of a life that is under the dominion of grace and it's the only message that this world has ever heard that tells people that the way to all these blessings is simply through faith in Jesus Christ No, my friend you've heard that message from the time you've been coming to church year after year after year nothing else has been brought before you but this salvation through faith in Christ and the whole address that Paul delivers to these men revolves round the central fact of the gospel jesus is alive from the dead jesus lives and jesus reigns jesus gives forgiveness and repentance of sins jesus saves and that is the light that paul was commissioned to bring before all and sundry And he had nothing else to preach. Remember what he said to the church in Corinth? The Jews, he said, I meet Jews and they tell me, give me a sign, Paul. Show me the miracle. Prove to me that what you've got is right. I come across Greeks, he said. All they want of me is is the proof of philosophy, wisdom, philosophy, intellectual understanding. Never mind these stories about these Jews and about this Christ. Give us something that's going to enlighten our minds. And I say, he says, to Jew and Gentile, I've got nothing to give you but Christ crucified. They ask for a sign and they ask for enlightenment. But we preach Christ crucified. And I have no knowledge of Paul ever doing anything else with any body of people he came across be they Jew or Gentile, male or female, infants or adults, I have no knowledge of any other means that he ever employed to bring people to a knowledge of salvation but the spoken word. The spoken word. And if you don't agree with what statement, I defy you to prove me wrong. This is the great weapon of the Christian church go and preach and preach and preach and when preaching fails continue preaching all you can do is sow 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 the seed God will give the increase Festus stops him I was going to say in midstream, but I don't think he was in midstream. I think that Paul was really finished his sermon. Perhaps even the act of, if he was using his hands, and the act of laying his hands down, when Festus reacted as he did. And this is what I close the sermon with tonight. Service such as it is. The two reactions, as you see them here, depicting the life of in, in the attitude of Festus and Agrippa. Paul says Festus. You're mad or you're a raving lunatic. You're you're a learned man. You're enlightened. You know a lot. You're an intellectual. And your intellectualism has brought you to lunacy. You're mad. You're a fool. Agrippa reacted differently. At least the authorised version gives you to believe that what he said was this. Paul you're almost persuading me to be a Christian you're almost persuading me to be a Christian now I know that this translation bristles with difficulties and perhaps the way it could be written with this you know Paul you're probably thinking that with a little more time you might persuade me to be a Christian Others say that it was a sneering reaction by a group, a sort of a uh, feeling rather embarrassed and self-conscious in this company, in the compass of the company of the Romans, that he, he just sort of uh, pushed him off to one side and said, "I'm not interested in that." You'd almost think that you you probably think that you're persuading me, but don't be daft; you're not. Well, whatever the translation is, I think that. Agrippa's attitude is very different to Festus's, and I just want to close the service by referring to them both very briefly. Festus said, Paul, you're a madman. You've read too much, and you've learned, you've learned, you know, too much intellectually. You're gifted, and you're mad. I'm rather surprised myself that this was Festus' reaction because it's not the kind of reaction you come across very often. Amongst Unbelievers As a matter of fact Very often it's the opposite It's the opposite thing that unbelievers tend to say Certainly in 1985 It isn't that the Christians or the preachers Are too intellectual Or too learned It's the opposite It's that they don't know enough They've never seen life as it were They haven't seen life on the other side of the fence If they read more And if their horizons were broadened they wouldn't believe that nonsense that they, that they preach and speak about so much. Is this not the tendency you get today, the reaction you get amongst certain people today. It's not that the Christian church is too learned. It's that the Christian church doesn't know enough. And if it knew enough, it wouldn't believe what it does believe. And so they try to push these things to one side. Paul Tfess was a harebrained enthusiast. Perhaps you're here tonight and you may be thinking that, well, I haven't got enough evidence to believe this, all these things about the Christian faith. And anyway, there are other people who are far more gifted intellectual than some of the people that you're used to listening to, and they don't believe the things that we tell you about either. So you'd rather believe them than believe us. Now, All we can do, and all Paul could do with Festus, was this, Festus says, I'm not mad at all. I'm just telling you the truth as it is in Jesus. And all we can do as preachers is present the truth as plainly as we possibly can. Lay it at the door of your heart and of your will and of your conscience. Lay it at the door in the hope that God by his power will open that door. That the truth may flood in like a river to enlighten your mind in the knowledge of Christ. You may direct and raise whatever objections and excuses you can against the truth and against the way it is presented to you. Against the knowledge or otherwise of those who do present it. You may raise whatever objections you can, but no Festus in the history of this world has ever changed the truth, and it still comes to you. Agrippa, well, Paul knew that he was more informed than Festus. And I take these words as they are in the authorised version. Agrippa saying to him, almost, not sneeringly, you're bringing... Persuasion to bear upon me As though he was seeing and conceding That there were great reasons For the Christianity And for the acceptance of the Christianity That Paul was bringing before him That the proofs for it were strong The objections against it were trifling There were convictions But they didn't become conversion It's as though this man is bending In a certain direction But he didn't bend far enough he has come so far, but he's also came far short of what the gospel demanded of him. There are thousands of people on that threshold, as people, as someone put it, outside the door on the pavement of almost. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're almost persuaded to take a step in the way of commitment of life to the claims of Christ but you haven't done it yet and you remember this that as long as you stand on the pavement of almost you are still unsaved and still unconverted and still on the road, on the destin- still heading for the destination to which that pavement leads and that is our lost eternity. But I want to leave you with this thought, the wonderful insight that you get here into the preacher's heart. As Paul fixes his gaze upon Agrippa and says I would to God that not only thou but also all that hear me this day would both all must not all together such as I am except these bonds. You get a picture of a man of great sincerity and open heartedness. A man of great tenderness. A man of great desire for the lost. A man who would give Agrippa gospel and spiritual liberty a man who would give him every blessing that Christ could bestow upon him, a man who would wish him every privilege that the gospel has for those who come but who wouldn't want him to have any of the burdens or the anxieties or the difficulties or the problems or the oppositions that are inevitably associated with the gospel. I would he says that you are all together a Christian. I would give anything he says for that But at the same time, I wouldn't want you to have these chains. There you have the heart of the preacher. What a testimony to the change in this man's life. You know, Akripa said there was a day he told him earlier, I would have hauled the lives of myself to prison. I would have signed the death warrant of believers. Look at the change, Akripa. I would give anything to see you a believer. Before, I would have bound you with chains. Today, all I would want to see you bound with are the chains of the love of Christ in the gospel of his grace. And that is Christianity. That is the sincerity of Christianity. The sincerity that wants to see people delivered without having the oppositions and the difficulties that are associated with the gospel and I tell you this I tell you this at the same time the more you adhere to Christ and the gospel of Christ the more you will know of opposition and antagonism and difficulties and anxieties in life and I hope that you and I have sufficient interest in Christ and His cause. Have sufficient love for Christ and for His cause. I hope that we have sufficient love for Him to make sure that we do not compromise our position as Christians in this world. Here you have the heart, then, of the believer. And I say this to you tonight: who are out with Christ. I say this to. And I'm only saying what every Christian would say to you. What your own Christian relatives and friends would say to you. If you only knew, my friend, how much their hearts are open for you. And how much they would give to bring you to the Lord. If you only knew the prayers that go up on on your behalf. If you only knew what they would wish for you. They would wish you nothing but good nothing but blessing, nothing but privileges, nothing but peace and contentment and satisfaction, forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. They wouldn't want you to have a care in the world, but they know at the same time that the moment you are bound by the chains of his love, you will inevitably have the opposition And the anxiety that comes with it remember what Paul said to Timothy as a young minister Timothy said you will have your own share of the hardships associated with the gospel but they're worth having for the sake of the one in whose name and for whose sake we bear them. And there's one person here tonight who needs a message. One person who needs a message. It's this type of person. You sit loosely to Christ's claims upon you. You may think That you're avoiding difficulties but little do you know the difficulties that await you if you live like that you compromise your position as a believer you do it you sit loosely by his claims and you love him so feebly and so little that you prepare to associate it with those who hate him and you will live to regret it for the rest of your life may God grant that you and I may be all together committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and if you do have problems as a result of that and difficulties as you will you remember this the difficulties cannot be compared with the glory that will follow. And the last pick that you have, and I'm almost finished of my studies in the book of Acts. I hope you haven't found these things too long. One more study will see us through to the end of this book. The last picture that you have as this book and as this page close on Agrippa and Festus and Bernice is this they turn aside from Paul and the gospel and they chat among themselves and they say if this fellow hadn't appealed to Rome he could have been set free and the page closes and that's all we hear about and how often is it true of people who come to hear the gospel who may be impressed with the appeal and the claims of Christ and the moment they're away from the church or perhaps even the moment the sermon finishes They begin chatting together about anything and everything and the effect has gone. Is that going to be you once again tonight? Let us pray. Our Lord, be with us and guide us and bless us with thy peace through believing. And the praise to be thine forever in Christ. Amen.